The Truth News Network. A sitting president blames the unvaccinated for the outbreak of a virus, but the outbreak is among the vaccinated. A vaccine maker announces their 98% effective vaccine is nowhere near as effective as they claimed, and now booster shots for life. How does this happen? It happens in the absence of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network, brings it to clarity with Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Friday at TNN Live. I hope your week has been good so far, and I hope the last day of the work week for you is going to be an even better day. As you head toward the weekend, though, there are some very important matters we need to talk about today. And to get things started this morning, I want to go right to President Biden and listen to what he had to say yesterday about vaccinations for kids. Now, I know parents uh, out there are anxiously waiting for a vaccine for children ages 5 to 11. The good news is the FDA and outside experts from the CDC are set to make its determination as to whether the vaccine will be authorized for that age range in the next few weeks. If authorized, we are ready. We have purchased enough vaccines for all children between the ages of 5 and 11 in the United States. And we'll be, it'll be convenient for parents to get their children vaccinated at trusted locations. And families will be able to sleep easier at night knowing their kids are protected as well. So let's do this. Let's turn to the facts about vaccinations, COVID-19 vaccinations for kids. And there are facts out there, folks. And you didn't hear the president who was just touting vaccinations for kids ages 5 to 18 and, oh my goodness, Pfizer's vaccination. It's about to be approved for kids 5 to 18 by the FDA. Aren't you excited? Parents have been sweating it for their kids. Step back just for a moment with me, and let's look at some facts. Novel idea, facts coming from this administration. Don't hear much about that. So what are the numbers? Well, as of last week, folks, since COVID-19 and this faux pandemic began, and when I say faux pandemic, I mean fake pandemic. This, this pandemic, if you, if you believed all of the numbers... Every one of the numbers that have been given to us about deaths and that they were caused by directly COVID-19 infections. And many we're finding out were not. But if you just factored them all in and said, okay, let's just look at it seriously. By the CDC's own definition, this has not been a pandemic. Did you get that? According to the CDC's own definition, historical definition, of the word pandemic, COVID-19 and the problems we've dealt with for the last year and a half are not those of a pandemic. It's a great talking point with which to sell fear among the American population. And not just here, folks, it's been sold the same way around the globe. But back to the kids, ages 5 to 18. What are the numbers, do you think? What numbers are out there that back up what President Biden just said? Here in the United States, these are reported COVID deaths from kids 
5 to 18. Since January 1 of 2020, 419. 419 deaths. That's a lot of kids, isn't it? No question about it. But let's break down the real number and the real causes of the deaths in those 419. Of those 419, a bunch of them had serious comorbidity issues. In many cases, a really bad diabetes, massive overweight, other kinds of really messed up medical conditions. How many of those 419 fall into that comorbidity number, Dan? 411. So, if you believe those numbers, only eight kids that were healthy kids died of COVID-19. But there's more to it. Of those eight kids that died from COVID-19, two of them committed suicide. All of these are tragedies, folks. Not a single one of these deaths is not tragic. But folks, COVID-19 numbers are grossly, grossly misrepresented, especially in this demographic, to try to scare parents into doing something that they're doing for one reason and one reason only. They're being told by the so-called experts that you need to do this. Okay, so your kid's not going to die. That's a wonderful thing. But you know what? I'm thinking I'm going to go ahead and get the kid vaccinated just in case. Well, as of October 1, there have been 17,025 adverse events. Now, what does that mean? Adverse events, reactions, negative adverse reactions to COVID-19 vaccinations. 17,025. What do these things include? Oh my gosh, folks. A 13-year-old boy, two days after receiving a Pfizer vaccination, totally disabled. It just goes, I'm not even going to, anaphylaxic shock, um, myocarditis, pericarditis, 426 cases of myocarditis and pericarditis, 426 cases among these kids, 86 reports of blood clotting disorders. I, I, I don't, I, I'm really sad when I look at these numbers. Folks, for whatever reason or reasons, our government and many of our medical experts are literally justifying killing our kids and killing our kids with the chemical concoction that they're calling unethically a vaccine. Vaccines don't kill people. Did you hear me? Vaccines don't kill people. We've had some of the best healthcare professionals on the planet on this show through the last two years. And two of one, they have made it very clear something's not right with this thing. Dr. Peter McCullough, known worldwide as the number one cardiovascular doctor 
there is. And over the last year and a half, he has specialized in COVID-19 and everything to do with it. And when, when we say Dr. Peter McCulloch and we tell you about his credentials, very few people know this guy was the head of the entire Baylor medical system across the United States. The guy, the medical authority at the top. He started talking about these same things, giving speeches, speaking to people, writing stories, sharing control laboratory reports that basically confirm something's not right. Baylor dumped him. They fired him. They forced him to pull down all of his papers and stuff that were posted anywhere on the web. Why is all this happening? I don't have the answer. And sadly, here's where we have to leave this. There is something sinister that's causing this to happen. Medicine is not driving this boat, folks. The necessity to save lives of our, especially our kids, is not what this is all about. So the question I ponder, and many of you, in fact, I would imagine everybody listening, if it's not about medicine, if it's not about saving lives, is it not about keeping us from giving infections to other people? What could it possibly be about? That's the question. We're going to go into the weekend, and it'll be on our minds, and we'll be concerned about it. And folks, I don't think this weekend we're going to get any firm answers. And even sadder than that, there are a lot of people in high power places in politics and medicine in the world and here in the United States that are taking that mystery, that sinister, that question mark, and are using against us through fear. And it's a purposeful thing, which makes it even worse. Wow. I'm sorry to start the show with that this morning, but this just struck me. The president of the United States, you heard him, he's bragging about the fact that Pfizer's going to get approval from the FDA to jab our kids. And as you just heard, obviously there are a bunch of kids that are in a category where they can and should according to the quote-unquote experts, go ahead and get these vaccinations they have, and 419 of them died. I'm sure that 419, there were several that would have died anyway, the two that committed suicide. I don't know any of the circumstances on those. Any death of any person with a disease is horrible. But any death of a kid with a disease is worse, and with the question mark hanging out there that some of these kid deaths, most of these kid deaths happened and didn't have to happen, but happened because somebody talked a parent into allowing this kid to be vaccinated with the Pfizer-BioNTech drug. Wow. 
couldn't we talk about some other things today, Dan? Aren't there some more important things out there? I don't know if there are more important things out there. There are surely many other things that are out there that are important, and we're going to get into those. But I wanted to start this today by shocking you into the realization that what we're hearing in large part about all of these vaccinations Much of it is not true, folks. Much of it is not true. And so all of the questions then immediately pop into our heads and we struggle with getting an an understanding and an answer for any of these questions. And then every day, instead of getting an answer, what actually happens is something's put out there that forces us to ask even more questions that remain unanswered. I'll give you an example. British health officials on last Friday said that an estimated 43,000 people may have been wrongly told that they don't have coronavirus. Why? Because of problems with the laboratory test that was given to those 43,000 people that were incorrect. Seems like a little bitty boo-boo, right? 43,000 people bad test, the results of which prompted 43,000 people to make permanent health care decisions for themselves. And some of those 43,000 may be dead today because of a faulty test from a laboratory. You know, laboratories are where all of the great testing is done, all of the great medications are fabricated, tested, revised, finally put into the marketplace, 43,000 people believed what the experts told them about those tests and the results of those tests and the results we find out later were wrong. Joe Biden, not even Donald Trump stood before the American people and said, look, we're going to make some boo-boos through this. We're going to have some problems and because of the problems that are going to crop up that we can't see and predict and know about right now, there are going to be a lot of people, in fact, millions of people around the world that are going to get really sick from ad, really sick from the adverse effects of these vaccinations. We know that going into this, and we want to make sure you know. Nobody did that. And they certainly didn't say, hey, in the United States, a half a million Americans are going to die. A huge number of those are going to die not because of COVID, but because of COVID-19 vaccinations. And they certainly didn't warn us that 419 kids were going to die. There's, there is something worse than not getting the truth from experts. And that's getting partially true information by these experts and being told that the information we're getting is accurate and smiling at us and telling us, oh, you don't need to worry about it. Just listen to me. I'm the president of the United States and what I say is absolute fact. You don't have the right to question it. You don't have the right to question it. So, 
Let's do something before we get into the meat of things. We've got some really big things to talk about. we got the airline and uh, was it sit-out? Was it a protest? Southwest Airlines started it. It passed along across the airline industry. And at the White House, they're still standing in front of Americans and lying about that. And then we have the supply chain issue where there there are being rumors out there now that you won't be able to get your Christmas presents in time for Christmas this year because of supply chain issues and so many more things out there. But when I get to a point with this, I I, I was talking to Marianne before I came into the studio to do the show today, and I told her I get up at 5.30 every morning during the week and uh, I go do a prayer meeting, an online prayer meeting at our church with... uh, some leaders of the church. And then I come back and put the finishing touches on preparations for the show at nine o'clock. And by Friday, that weighs that long day stuff starting at five, actually five 25. And I'll throw some clothes on and head over to church for that, doing that five days in a row and then staying up doing normal stuff during the day. It gets taxing by the end of the week. And there's some bad in that, but there's some good in that because what it does, it slows me down in my thinking. And I take a little more time instead of just, and and you got to understand this, I'm a speed reader, uh, didn't take the classes or courses when I was young. I developed it on my own. I read a lot and just developed a way to do speed reading. So I cover a bunch of material, reading and preparation for this show every day and articles that we publish and that all weighs heavily on you and it's taxing mentally and emotionally especially when the content is many times about negative things like kids dying and so what happens I slow down my thinking toward the end of the week which gives me a a moment or two more than in a normal day to be reflective and look and think and listen and relate to things from history when I'm considering all of the circumstances that we're living through right now today. And so I always look back for the orators, people who were known for giving great speeches or pulling the cover off of truths sometimes little nuggets, sometimes big deals, politically, especially during our history. If you remember correctly, folks, communication, media, back in the 50s and 60s, it was almost non-existent. Americans relied almost totally on newspapers. And the national newspapers, even back then, New York Times, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, people in the heartland didn't have access to same-day news from these important outlets. So we had radio network news and three television networks that at a couple of times during each day, at least during the week, they would have newscasts. That was CBS, NBC, and ABC. That was the source of our news. Everything else was handed hand-to-hand, literally. But every once in a while, there would be somebody that was a real heavyweight in thinking that had the ability to communicate uh, communicate thoughts and ideas and uh, call a spade a spade, a diamond a diamond, 
and didn't just try to couch everything and put it in some specific political narrative. One such person was elected president in 1960, John F. Kennedy. Kennedy said something about the dissemination of information in America, and he warned us about the process of creating and presenting the news by these news entities. Of course, he was speaking primarily about newspapers and warning about using that type of communication to shape a perspective rather than just give the American people facts. Here's JFK. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. No president should fear public scrutiny of his program. For from that scrutiny comes understanding, and from that understanding comes support or opposition, and both are necessary. I am not asking your newspapers to support an administration, but I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. For I have complete confidence and the response and dedication of our citizens whenever they are fully informed. I not only could not stifle controversy among your readers, I welcome it. 
This administration intends to be candid about its errors. For as a wise man once said, an error doesn't become a mistake until you refuse to correct it. We intend to accept full responsibility for our errors, and we expect you to point them out when we miss them. Without debate, without criticism, no administration and no country can succeed, and no republic can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Sola decreed it a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. And that is why our press was protected by the First Amendment, the only business in America specifically protected by the Constitution, not primarily to amuse and entertain, not to emphasize the trivial and the sentimental, not to simply give the public what it wants, but to inform, to arouse, to reflect, to state our dangers and our opportunities, to indicate our crises and our choices, to lead, mold, educate, and sometimes even anger public opinion. This means greater coverage and analysis of international news, for it is no longer far away and foreign, but close at hand and local. It means greater attention to improved understanding of the news, as well as improved transmission. And it means, finally, that government at all levels must meet its obligation to provide you with the fullest possible information outside the narrowest limits of national security. And so it is to the printing press, to the recorder of man's deeds, the keeper of his conscience, the courier of his news, that we look for strength and assistance, confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. Man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. John F. Kennedy was a lot of things, but let me tell you this. He got it. He understood people. And he communicated well. And he didn't very often, at least as far as I can remember. Now, remember, he was elected when I was seven. I was just getting into understanding what politics were. But because we only had three broadcast TV channels, and because we only in South Louisiana every day had a daily newspaper, I, when I started and became cognizant of news, I got plenty of it percentage-wise was news. When we watched television, a huge part of what we were allowed to watch as kids growing up were the news broadcast in the evening. So I, I became very familiar with some of the things John F. Kennedy told us. And what I thought was most interesting in this speech that you just heard was his thoughts of what the news media should be doing and what they should not be doing. But what he encouraged them to do was to report to the American people and alert the American people. Two terms that I think are befitting what we're looking at right now. What we're getting right now certainly doesn't fall into those two categories that the former president related, informing and alerting. What he was saying, folks, in context was the American media need to 
hold themselves to doing just that, informing the American people and alerting the American people. And alerting, in the context of what he was saying, isn't about coming up with some kind of uh, conspiracy thought or story, you know, like the Russia collusion thing, and spending two, three years indoctrinating or attempting to indoctrinate the American people into believing lies. That's not informing. That's not alerting. That's misrepresentation and trying to create a political narrative or at least substantiate one that's already out there. The cost of all of this to all of us, we can't even measure at this particular point. Let me ask you this. If you if you woke up, if you're awakened tomorrow morning and uh, your wife or husband walked in and said, hey, guess what? Today, you're the president of the United States. You got to start making decisions. If that, if that was dropped into your lap, on what information would you base those decisions. That's why, and I'm, I'm going to throw something out there and some of you may, you may turn the show off. That's fundamentally why Donald Trump was successful as president. Because he hadn't been schooled through decades of being in government. He hadn't been schooled on how the political process is supposed to function. He lived a life, an ordinary American entrepreneurial life. Well, he wasn't a true entrepreneur. Dan, Fred, his dad, gave him a million dollars 40 years ago to get into business. (laughs) If you've never been an entrepreneur, you don't know how to even make the justification from going from a million dollars to a billion dollars because in true entrepreneurial fashion, That almost never happens. So Donald had something right. He had an understanding. And the American people saw a lot of that as he was campaigning for and then as president of the United States for four years saw it play out. And guess what he did? Not in media, but in life, in what he did, and what he did governing the American people and leading the American people. He informed us. And he alerted us. And he wasn't even in media. But I think it's safe to say, and few listening right now will disagree, that he shaped the media with more facts than did all of the other mainstream media outlets combined. And he was derided for it every day. I long for someone like JFK and Donald Trump that will speak to the American people rather than speak at the American people. I'm going to illustrate that. You just listened to five minutes of John F. Kennedy. Here's 42 seconds of Joe Biden again. Now, I know parents uh, out there are anxiously waiting for a vaccine for children ages 5 to 11. The good news is the FDA and outside... Stop right there. 
He said, I know there are parents out there that are anxious to get vaccines for these kids of that age. He knows that. He doesn't know that. He does not know that. But see, he's a 50-year politician. He's learned the schmeal. He's learned how to put it all together, what you're supposed to say, how you're supposed to say it, and in whatever context it's supposed to be said to be politically correct. JFK, in what you heard, he was not politically correct. He was alerting the people. Here's some more joke. The good news is the FDA and outside experts from the CDC are set to make its determination as to whether the vaccine will be authorized for that age range in the next few weeks. Okay. He's not a medical expert. But folks, in the context of what you just heard, he's making himself a medical expert. So much so, he's sending a message, not a message of science, but a message of politics to people that technically work for you and I, and he's telling the FDA, you're going to approve this Pfizer vaccine for these kids. Why am I saying that? Why am I putting it that way? Folks, if he was really following the science, if he was really doing anything more than following the quote-unquote scientist, not the science, he wouldn't be making this announcement now. The experts would be the ones, if and when it's appropriate and applicable to make such a determination and announce it to the public, they would be the ones to do it. But Joe Biden, with everything nasty going on in his life right now politically, he's looking for brownie points, and he's using our kids to make his brownie point, to try to play on emotions of moms and dad. I know many parents are out there. They're foaming at the mouth to get a vaccination jabbed into the arms of their babies. If authorized, we are ready. We have purchased enough vaccines for all children between the ages of 5 and 11. Why would he even say that? We have purchased enough vaccinations to jab all kids from ages 5 to 11. Isn't that just wonderful? It doesn't matter if it does any good. It doesn't matter if these kids don't get sick and don't die with COVID-19, but a bunch of them get sick when they get jabbed with these things and a bunch of them die, but y'all don't worry about that. I'm the president of the United States. I'm not a doctor, but I'm up here playing doctor right now and using your children as foils for his political thuggery using medicine which is probably one of if not the most evil thing a leader can do in the United States and will be it'll be convenient for parents to get their children vaccinated at trusted locations oh, oh my 
God, it's going to be easy. You can go to the drive-thru in the parking lot at the local mall. Your kids don't even have to get out of the car. Moms and dads, you just stick them up in the window and they get jabbed. Isn't that wonderful? How could anybody resist that? And families will be able to sleep easier at night knowing their kids are protected as well. Wow. The parents of those 419 kids that died, I'm sure they sleep well at night knowing their kids got what the experts said their kids needed. Will we ever get to the truth in all of this? Will we? (laughs) I have no idea. And I got to be honest with you, maybe we won't. We won't want to hear the truth even after we hear it because I have this horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach that if it ever comes out, if the truth ever is totally unfolded, and I got to be honest with you folks, in this climate in which we find ourselves, we still don't know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa and where he is. We still don't know all of the results that happened in the death of our President Kennedy that you just heard a little bit ago, we still don't know about these important things. What that proves is stuff like this can be hidden permanently. If the right people that control all of the information dissemination to Americans step in and stop it, who would that be? It would be people like Joe Biden, And anyone else that sits behind that desk in the Oval Office, we may never know for sure. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the $3.99 six-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird. I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What did he say? Italian BMT $3.99. I call the EMT? Turkey bread. participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar or three or four or five or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium hot coffee for $3. A bacon with cream cheese spread and a medium hot coffee for $4. A bacon egg and cheese croissant with a medium hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and you guessed it, a medium hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates, now at homedepot.com workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. 
Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. When fake news threatens the fabric of the nation, you have a choice. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Ever wonder what the percentage is of the real news that are being blocked from those who have editorial rights to edit what we hear and what we read and what we listen to? What would really be out there? What would we see and hear that we're not seeing and hearing now? Stories like what's going on up at Loudoun County in Virginia at that public school, that public school board meeting. You remember this latest travesty up there? And there's been a bunch of them. I mean, those folks up there, folks, they're in the tank, hard left. Are public educators up there as well as people that are serving on these school boards on this particular one? Of course, you saw and you heard about the man, the father that went to a school board meeting. I think it was early this week or late last week. And he wanted to confront those school board members because his daughter had been sexually assaulted by a boy who told Loudoun County Public School, I guess high school um, educators, that um, he identified as a female, had on a dress, goes in the woman's bathroom, the girl's bathroom, and rapes this man's 12-year-old daughter. Well, what would any father do? What would any mother do if their kid comes home and tells them that? It was reported to the public schools. They were confronted to the public school board and the school administrators. Nothing happened. Nothing was done with it. So this apparently happened last school year. Over the summer, here's a parent, here's a family. Their daughter was raped by a guy in the school bathroom, and the school's doing nothing. If that was my daughter, and I happen to have right now two 15-year-old granddaughters that are twins, and their mother, our youngest child, Corey, and their aunt, our oldest child, Kimby, I guess I'm bringing that up to tell you, I had girls, and I have girls now. I can't tell you how excited I got when I think it was early this year or maybe at the end of last year, one father walked in in the middle of the night to his daughter's bedroom and there was a guy raping his daughter in the middle of the night. The father beat the guy to death, was arrested for doing that, protecting his daughter, thrown in jail. They wouldn't give him bail. So days later, he goes before a judge that was assigned to the case And before the case even came up, he was going to be tried for some version of murder. I don't know if it would be manslaughter, but there's no good version of being tried for any kind of good murder. You know what I'm talking about. And the judge looked down before the prosecutor could even get started, and he said, case dismissed. The judge did. Judge happened to have a teenage daughter. I relate to that. I don't like it. And I was just corrected Our twin granddaughters are 16. I forgot they just had their 16th birthday. Thank you, Marianne. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so this father goes to this school board meeting, and he wants to know why this wasn't 
reported. This assault of his of his daughter wasn't reported. And it was made especially much worse because that boy was kicked out of that school, but he was allowed to go to another school, and the exact same, same thing happened in the other school. So in this latest school board meeting, the father gets up and talks, and the president of the school board in the meeting says, there have been no sexual assault cases in Loudoun County Public Schools at all. And of course, the dad exploded. He was hauled out. He was arrested. That's all pending now. But guess what we found out? Loudoun County Public Schools have failed to report numerous alleged sexual assaults in its district for years. Now, Virginia law requires that districts, public school districts, log certain information documenting the presence presence of sexual assaults and other kinds of criminal activity at each school in the Virginia Department of Education's public database. Data suggests that Loudoun County has repeatedly failed to report numerous sexual incidents, including a recently publicized alleged rape. So earlier this week, a Loudoun County father accused the school board of covering up his daughter's rape by a gender-fluid boy. Gender-fluid. Gender identity. I got to stop there, folks. I got to stop there. We were going to publish a story that I wrote this morning at Truth News Network. In fact, they always go live at 1.45 a.m. Central Time. That's when stories go live that we posted there. And I didn't let it get posted this morning. And after that prayer meeting that I went to, I was sitting at uh, the bar at our our house drinking a cup of coffee, and I started thinking about it. I went ahead and I went and published it. I went online and published it. It's out now. Um, I encourage you to go read it today. It asked the question, which is worse, critical race theory or gender identity? It's very controversial, but it lays it out there for everybody to see, folks. For months, this guy, Scott Smith, who was a small business owner in Virginia, the dad, he became the domestic terrorism poster child for a leftist school board association after he was arrested on June 22nd at a Loudoun County school board meeting. You've seen it on, it's all over the news, has been for weeks for arguing with somebody about the school board's policy proposal to allow students to ignore their sex and use whichever locker room matches their gender identity on a given day. Folks, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you know. I don't care what sex you are. I will say this adamantly and positively, and it's unquestionable in science. You're either male or female, period. The only way to change that is not through hormones. It's not through gender-changing surgery. The only way to change that, folks, you can't change it. (laughs) You can't do any of the above or anything else. Your sex is determined by one thing and one thing only your chromosomes, and there's no science yet that will change a person's chromosomes. 
Less than a month before this uh, gathering of the school board was eventually ruled an unlawful assembly, a boy allegedly wearing a skirt entered a girl's bathroom at nearby Stonebridge High School, and he sexually assaulted Smith's ninth-grade daughter. The school board publicly denied at the June 22nd meeting that there was ever any sexual assault from a transgender-identifying student, and they later voted to pass the controversial policy despite parental outrage. And here's what that school superintendent said. To my knowledge, we don't have any record of assaults occurring in our restrooms. So parents in the district demanded that this guy, Superintendent Scott Ziegler, step down from his position this week following the expose of the district's cover-up of this alleged crime. So while the local sheriff's office confirmed a forcibly sodomy and sexual battery report, at the same time Smith said his daughter was assaulted at Stonebridge, the school board reported to the Virginia Department of Education that Stonebridge had zero sexual assaults for the 2021 school year, which includes the date, May 28th, when this allegedly happened. The district also reported no sexual incidents in 2018, even though three football players at Tuscarora High School were arrested and charged with sexual assault. The Virginia Department of Education spokesman Charles Pyle said his agency would look into Loudoun County's failures to report and noted that the mandatory reporting is not contingent on the filing of charges by law enforcement or any type of subsequent convictions. What it means, folks, is if there's a sexual assault incident, it's supposed to be reported. Now, why would Loudoun County, why would the school board not report it and then deny it ever happened again and again and again? Ask yourself that question. You're a parent. You live in Virginia. And your kids go to Stonebridge High School. And your freshman daughter is raped in a bathroom. Making it worse, it's a guy that raped your daughter wearing a dress and telling everybody, I identify as a girl. Gender identity. Not gender, folks. Gender identity. What is this nation coming to? (laughs) Oh, we could stay here all day. We're not going to do it. We're done. It's out there. We understand it. We know it's happening, and we know that they have been called on the carpet, they being all of the members of this Loudoun County School Board, and they should be all removed immediately, if not sooner. But there's a lot of other horrible things happening in our life that we need to touch base on going into the weekend. You remember when Joe Biden was inaugurated? Remember even before, there was this huge thing going on with the the job layoffs, the closures, all in the name of COVID-19 and keeping Americans safe. Oh my gosh. You know, like they do now. All of a sudden, did you notice this before high school and college and NFL football began, COVID got, they got a demand letter 
from the Biden administration, the COVID group, the COVID God. What was the letter, Dan? The letter instructed them, you are, you are told, you are ordered to stay away from high school football stadiums, to stay away from Major League Baseball stadiums. Don't you dare go new, go near Alabama Crimson Tide Dennehy Stadium in Tuscaloosa on game day. Don't you dare do that. And by goodness, don't even think about going to Tampa Bay in that stadium to watch Tom Brady throw touchdown passes. You stay away from Americans. And the news went out. And every arena, every baseball stadium, every high school, every college stadium, they're filled to the brim and spilling over with football fans. Nobody's wearing masks. Nobody's social distancing. No reports of COVID-19. So COVID got the message from Joe Biden. Well, now we have another little Biden dilemma. Looming Christmas shortages. Now, don't even think about there being any kind of shortages that would impact anything else but Christmas presents. (laughs) The impact of all of this insanity has been affecting us across, across the whole spectrum of living in America today. You can't get anything. I mean, it's almost so bad that for toilet paper, there's a message going out just to drip dry. I mean, it's that ridiculous. Now, let me tell you what a real leader does. A real leader analyzes and sees the potential of problems in the future coming down the pike that just may be able to be preempted if we make some choices today, if we make some changes today. Joe Biden told us all over the weekend, hey, and Jen Psaki, she confirmed it in press briefings on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. This administration has been working on this supply problem, oh, for months and months and months. We've already been at it. We're going to get it fixed. Ten months, ten months, and we don't even have we don't even have a glimmer at what your plans have been, yet alone are today to fix the problem. There's no leadership there. And so shoppers got the word. Shoppers are frustrated. National product shortages, and they took to social media yesterday, these frustrated moms for Santa Claus, and they lay the blame squarely at the feet of President Biden, taunting him with, he's been hashtag, folks. His new hashtag is at empty shelves Joe across social media. Twitter users chose empty shelves at stores around the country to illustrate how mad they are as our supply chain crisis continues and the outlook toward Christmas is looking pretty grim, folks. Biden on Wednesday acknowledged the concerns and he posed this question. With the holidays coming up, you might be wondering if gifts you plan to buy will arrive on time. So shoppers, well, they answer for themselves. Just went food shopping again. Thanks. Hashtag empty shelves, Joe. 
I really love having to go every day now in order to find what used to take one trip, one account wrote, along with a photo of near-vacant shelves at a grocery store. I'm pretty sure at Joe Biden and the Democrats in D.C. are eating just fine and are having no issues getting what they need. Another Twitter user posted, the rest of us lowly Americans who actually go to the grocery store, not so much. Hashtag empty shelves Joe. And then the result turned into a torrent. I mean, they went absolutely nuts online about hashtag empty shelves Joe. It was reported empty shelves across America are a product of logistics jams at our ports, such as the delay mega chains in the U.S., such as Walmart, Home Depot, Costco, Target, have reportedly chartered their own ways to transport some goods stuck on cargo ships waiting to dock. Ed Desmond, who's an executive VP of the Toy Association of all things, He said last week parents should be going out today and yesterday and the day before to buy Christmas presents for their kids while there are plenty of supplies instead of waiting till the last minute like we always do. Get out and buy toys now, he said. If you see toys you think the kids are going to want for Christmas, pick them up now. Tuck them away to make sure you have them, Desmond warned. So here we are, folks. Leadership doesn't give you ideas for you to use to respond to bad things. Real leaders, before the bad things ever become bad things, give you ideas and formulate plans and implement plans to make sure those bad things never show up. It's not like Joe Biden didn't know that we were going to have supply issues knowing that all of the ports, all the big ports, were closed because of COVID-19 lockdowns. I mean, just point to one state. Look at what happened in California. Gavin Newsom, if he had his way, every business in California would be shut down. Of course, he shut them all down at one time except strip clubs. You know, pole dancers don't spread COVID-19. I guess he got an insight from somebody about that. But nevertheless, the port workers couldn't go to work. That meant that ships were coming from overseas with supplies, grocery supplies of all things, toilet paper of all things. They had to sit out in Los Angeles and Riverside, out in the ocean somewhere, anchored, waiting for the port to come back to life so they could dock and unload their stuff, and so truckers who were also locked down could load them on their 18-wheelers, and people that drive trains and load trains had to wait because they couldn't go back to work either. Joe didn't do anything. Excuse me. Hashtag empty shelves, Joe. He didn't do a thing. It was never mentioned. Nobody ever brought it up until it really became a big deal. But isn't it interesting, those in America that are leaders in some of these major corporations, we mentioned the names of a few, Target, Costco, Walmart, Kroger, big names, lots of stores. Many of those went out way before Joe figured out there was even a problem at all, and they found ways 
to get their stuff or get most of their stuff or a large portion of their stuff in their show in their stores for you and I. If they hadn't done that, Joe Biden not doing anything, nobody in his administration doing anything about it, our shelves would literally be totally empty. Leadership in the Oval Office is gone. He put the lid on his administration, not just his day or his week. He's toast, folks. He's toast. I don't see it getting any better towards the end of the first four years of a Biden administration. I don't see any way it can survive this. And then we have this thing that happened this week, last weekend it began, with thousands of airline flights being canceled. No notice, no real explanation. And of course, one plus one plus one always equals three unless you work in the Biden administration and you get up in front of people. And for a week now, Jen Psaki has every day made it very clear, oh, wait a minute, Southwest Airline canceling 2,000 flights last Friday, Saturday, and Sunday had nothing to do with people being upset about mandatory vaccinations. This was not a sit-out. This was not a walk-out. This was because of weather problems around the nation. It was interesting. There were no weather problems for American Airlines and United and any of the other carriers that impacted the same way it did Southwest Airlines. So maybe the weather gods just didn't like Southwest Airlines. And so they followed all of those flights and messed around with the weather to keep those flights from getting off the ground. That's exactly what happened. And here comes Jen Psaki yesterday, yesterday, shedding light on exactly what were the causes for all of these canceled flights. I know there was a little um, hubbub over the course of the last few days uh, about uh, Southwest Airlines. We now know that some of those claims were absolutely false and actually the issues were uh, completely unrelated to vaccine mandates. How many more of these sick outs, job actions, whatever strikes, whatever you're going to call what we saw this weekend, how many more of these do you think we're likely to see? Well, uh, first of all, we have all the control and the control comes from a simple word and that's no. We just don't need to comply. Um, As far as I'm concerned, I will never promote a sick out or a work action. That is illegal. Uh, With U.S. Freedom Flyers, the organization that I'm with, uh, we will never promote such a thing. With that being said, we also cannot control the actions of individuals. And frankly, it's a very difficult charge to prove. Uh, Completely unrelated to vaccine mandates. Completely unrelated to vaccine vaccine mandates. And what you heard, that gentleman that... uh, was with Tucker last night. You just heard a little snippet when Tucker asked him about it, and he, to basically not uncover the fact that this was an uh, illegal walkout by Southwest pilots, and then later through the week, more different airline pilots are doing the same thing, he had to make it legally clear. No, 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 I've never supported a walkout. That would be illegal. Nobody did it. It was, it was operated this way. Hey, man, I saw the assignment. I'm flying right seat with you tomorrow. How you feeling? Well, you know, I'm not sure. I've had a really bad headache of late. I hope I can make it tomorrow. How you been feeling? 
Well, you know what? I've had a bad stomach. Man, I hope I can make that flight so we can both do it together. We'll overnight somewhere and go eat dinner together. What do you think? Well, let's just hold out and hope we're going to feel okay. Those kind of conversations went on, not in the dozens, in not hundreds, in thousands. Thousands of phone calls and texts. And folks, what we're seeing, even though subdued, even though in many cases not called this, we're seeing vax repercussions, walkouts, and people saying, you are not going to make us. You are not going to force us to put anything in our bodies that we don't approve. That's called informed consent. More of that informed consent coming out of this break at TNN Live. What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at We Are Golden. Look out, world. We got it from here. Shop at H&M. Be stylish. Be trendy. With women's clothes and accessories at the best quality and the best prices since 1947. Come to H&M and shop for women's clothing and accessories inspired by the latest fashion trends. Here at H&M, the master of cheap fashion, clothes cost the average price of $21.40. Wow, that's so cheap and affordable. I know, right? H&M offers fashion and quality clothing at an affordable price. So, what are you waiting for? Come shop at H&M today! Hashtag Hot and Modern Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Have you heard anybody talk about the Nuremberg Code? Have you? It's interesting. Um, Nuremberg, Nuremberg trials. You remember that follow-up after World War II? A lot of war criminals, Nazi war criminals, appeared before that court. But a lot of good things came out of the Nuremberg incidents that happened over there. I'm calling them incidents, but millions of people were slaughtered, basically. They weren't really incidents. Um, but people talk about the Nuremberg, that's against the Nuremberg Code, talking about the way this COVID-19, its treatment and all that kind of stuff, these vaccines making them mandatory, etc. And so I thought I'd give to you, there are 10 parts to the Nuremberg Code. 
and the United States, every country in the free world that was around post-World War II signed off on these and made them an agreed-to process by which they would live. So what are those 10 codes in the Nuremberg Code? Here we go. Listen closely. For everything, voluntary consent is essential. Voluntary consent is essential. Nuremberg Code number two, yield fruitful results unprocurable by other means. In other words, if the populace can't get something good for themselves, and it's good and we really want it, nations under the Nuremberg Code would do everything within their capabilities to procure those good things for their populace. Nuremberg Code number three, base experiments on results of animal experimentation and natural history of disease. Base all experiments on the results of animal experimentation and natural history of disease. Code number four, avoid all unnecessary suffering and injury. Unnecessary being the key word there. In other words, not manufactured, not created. Avoid all unnecessary suffering and injury. Nuremberg Code number five, no experiment, no experiment to be conducted if there's reason to think injury or death will occur. No experiment, not one, to be conducted if there's reason to think injury or death might occur. Nuremberg Code number six, risk should never exceed the benefit. Code number seven, preparation must be made against even remote possibility of injury, disability, or death. Code number eight, experiment must be conducted by scientifically qualified persons. Code number nine, anyone must have the freedom to bring the experiment to an end at any time. And Nuremberg code number 10, the scientists must bring the experiment to an end at any time if there's probable cause of it resulting in injury or death. Now, put it in the context of where this came from, where it initiated from. It came from Germany. It came from and in the aftermath of the slaughter, the extermination of six million Jews just because they were Jews, not because of anything they did. And all of these countries joined together and agreed to every one of these moving forward in their futures, no matter what their political structure looked like, who was in charge, how things changed. Humanity is not changing, folks. Human beings have been, as long as there have been human beings, they've been pretty much the same. We are pretty much the same today, and going forward, we're still going to be humans as long as the human race exists. All of these things voluntarily make 
common sense for the safety of the people, never letting a government overstep its bounds and force things, especially medically related, on their populace, giving the people the ultimate ability to make the decisions for themselves. It's interesting that out in the marketplace of ideas today, that all of these apply, but when in the put in the political context that we see it being rolled out in pretty much everything, you know, my body, my choice, that only applies if you're talking about abortion. You can't force somebody not to be aborting a baby. Well, it's not a baby, it's a fetus. Get it right, Dan. But you can't stop that because we have free choice. My body, my choice. But here we go, folks. Joe Biden stood up at the front of the nation and said, I'm requiring every federal employee to receive a vaccination. In doing so, he violated numerous of these codes, like code number five, no experiment to be conducted if there's reason to think injury or death will occur. Even now, the facts are out long before he got up and issued his vaccine mandate. The facts were out that a lot of things, a lot of injuries and a lot of death have been occurring from the very beginning from using these vaccinations. Yet he keeps it going. He keeps touting it. Preparation must be made against even a remote possibility of injury, disability, or death. They don't even report it. They should be out there just as vocally telling us about the adverse reactions that are happening to Americans, how many times, to what type of people it's happening, giving us all the facts so we can, as Americans, make our own decisions. Anyone must have the freedom to bring the experiment to an end at any time. That's code number nine. And number 10, probably the most important one today, the scientist, not the politician, the scientist must bring the experiment to an end at any time if there's probable cause of it resulting in injury, or death. And we don't see that happening. Wow, 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 wow. So here we are in the conundrum of living in America, being American citizens and being under fire from our own government all day, every day on multiple fronts. It's crazy, folks. News is leaking out over the last couple of days about some really nasty stuff happening in the Biden administration. Apparently, Biden's deputies are resigning over his chaotic immigration policy. So a handful of open border zealots and advocates of immigration enforcement as a deterrent, they've simply walked away from Joe Biden's agencies amid infighting between the two camps over the president's chaotic and unpopular migration policies. 
This turmoil out of the Haitian migrant caravan that gathered at that camp, first under the bridge and then in a makeshift camp in Del Rio, laid bare the months-long internal rift between political appointees that have vastly different views on immigration. Even leftist outlets highlighted the infighting within the Biden administration, noting that it had drawn Democrat lawmakers into a rare political battle with the White House, several of them lambasting the president over his handling of that particular, the Haitian migrant crisis, as part of the bigger immigration crisis. Biden's approach, led by officials whose disagreements have become a hurdle to any solution, appears to be tearing his administration apart. Biden appointed some progressive adverses to minimal enforcement of U.S. immigration laws and relatively moderate advocates of using the law to stop future caravans of illegals to high-level positions in Homeland Security. CNN, of all places, CNN conceded a few days ago that putting both camps in charge of making consequential decisions triggered this infighting, and it's already stalled decision-making on a bunch of key issues that may have prevented the Del Rio debacle. These different views between the two groups ultimately yielded a schizophrenic and incoherent immigration policy It tries to appease everybody, both the progressives and the less radical others. Without naming some government officials specifically, on September 23rd, BuzzFeed reported that a leadership vacuum at Homeland had fueled the brewing tensions over immigration. There's a complete lack of direction. One of those 30 unnamed Biden folks interviewed by BuzzFeed declared officials began to leave the Biden camp as Homeland Security grappled with the thousands of mostly Haitian migrants gathered at that now-cleared camp in Del Rio, that happened from September 12th to 24th. Robert Law, who is the Director of Regulatory Affairs and Policy for CIS, the Centers for Immigration Studies, said that both progressive and moderate political appointees are abandoning, they're all bailing out of the Biden administration. The DHS-specific resignations were moderate political appointees who tried to be the voice of reason, but were rebuffed by the likes of Alejandro Mayorkas, the secretary, and rebuffed by the White House, he said. On the other hand, the non-DHS resignations I view as coming from the far-left progressive end who are outraged by even token enforcement, like sending a small number of Haitians back to where else? Haiti. He warned that the DHS resignations are troubling because the only appointees left are the extremists who despise any immigration enforcement, and they want to give the entire world's population an immigration benefit here, regardless of whether or not they're eligible. Karen Olick, O-L-I-C-K, on September 13th, she's the chief of staff for Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. She announced that she was stepping down. She was going to pursue another undisclosed opportunity. That's politispeak for, I can't stand this, I'm bailing. David Shahulahan, a senior Biden official at DHS, considered an influential figure on bordered matters, announced he was leaving the following day. He cited personal reasons. 
Two anonymous Biden folks suggested that the administration could have averted the Del Rio situation. They noted that the debate over starting deportations before the migrant surge in Del Rio was a political battle between the progressives and others at DHS and the progressive one, delaying deportation flights that may have removed the Haitian migrants before they gathered even at the camp. So the bailing, the division, the divisiveness, the political fighting, infighting is in full gear ahead mode in the Biden administration. So in the middle of this, guess what was announced yesterday? Looks like the DHS is going to comply with that Supreme Court order that President Biden's Donald Trump remain in Mexico policy was to be started up again. They told us yesterday that within a few weeks, it's going to reinstate that immigration policy that Trump created with the cooperation with the Mexican government. It forces migrants at the border to stay in Mexico or some other country until their asylum case is heard in courts along our southern border. Biden and the Homeland Security Department had originally scrapped Trump's migrant protection protocols, or we know it most as the Remain in Mexico order. But the Supreme Court ruled in August they had to reinstate it. Yesterday, the government said it disagrees, but it's going to comply with the high court's decision and that it should be back in effect by mid-November. In other words, they're saying, we don't like it, we don't agree with it, we think it's bad law, but it is the Supreme Court, so we're going to do it. Of course, they're not doing it. I mean, think about it. The court said do it in August, September, October. They're not going to do it till mid-November. Why are they delaying? Well, I can tell you it's so more illegals can get across the border before this whole thing goes back into play. There's some new border rules down there put out there by Homeland Security. And so what they did, they they lifted some restrictions on non-essential travel to the U.S. from Mexico and Canada earlier this week. You probably didn't hear about it. It was no big deal. The Biden administration announced that foreign travelers trying to get into the U.S. legally from those two nations now are going to need proof of what? COVID-19 vaccination. Now, in context, this is happening. Even as the administration allows illegal entrants to remain in the U.S. with or without vaccination. The announcement of mandatory vaxes for these legal travelers comes after the Biden administration released over a million illegals into the U.S. without requiring COVID vaccines as a condition for entry. The ultimate of hypocrisy. There's no question. The administration has also acknowledged the majority of the roughly 15,000 Haitians we were just talking about who arrived illegally in Del Rio weren't tested for COVID before they were released. 15,000. Mayorkas announced he is amending Title 19 regs to allow for legal entry in two phases. Beginning, starting in November, foreign travelers arriving from Canada and Mexico may enter the U.S. legally for non-essential travel at land and ferry ports of entry at the northern and southern borders. In January, the policy is going to expand to cover students, commercial truck drivers, and healthcare workers. Under these new rules, none of those attempting to enter the U.S. legally will be allowed entry if they can't show vaccination proof. 
This is just a head-scratcher. Meanwhile, the thousands illegally entering the U.S. every day by simply walking across the Rio Grande River are to be allowed to remain here with or without vaccine proof. That's under a new DHS policy that being in the U.S. illegally is no longer sufficient grounds for arrest, even though criminal under federal law. And by the way, that is not a determination of federal law that constitutionally can be made by anybody else other than the United States Congress. Why? The United States Congress passed the laws, the one that says something kind of simple. If you enter the U.S., if you put one foot in the U.S. without having a formal invitation to do so from the federal government, you're a criminal. And there are laws that those same laws include penalties that are legally binding. And Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security is thumbing their nose at the U.S. Constitution and the rule of law. What remains to be seen if they're going to get a passport. Going to take a break when we come back. New news out on that Texas abortion law. The one that's got everybody a buzz. You don't want to miss this. Back after this at TNN Live. What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at We Are Golden. Look out, world. We got it from here. Shop at H&M, be stylish, be trendy, with women's clothes and accessories at the best quality and the best prices since 1947. Come to H&M and shop for women's clothing and accessories inspired by the latest fashion trends. Here at H&M, the master of cheap fashion, clothes cost the average price of $21.40. Wow, that's so cheap and affordable. I know, right? H&M offers fashion and quality clothing at an affordable price. So, what are you waiting for? Come shop at H&M today! Hashtag Hot and Modern The Brontosaurus For millennia these gentle and graceful giants roamed the earth, grazing off the lush vegetation of the time. Their mere existence transformed the landscape and made a lasting impact on our world. It's that legacy that Dino Oil is proud to continue by using their eons-old dead bone goop to fuel your five-door wagon, making it the oldest form of recycling there is. Dino Oil. Embrace the power of bones. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. 
the new home of Craftsman. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for a, something peaceful, something mellow, something that's not all pointed and sticky, something that I can just look at and kind of chuckle and grin and not have to think through what the heck is really going on here. <laughs> you know you know that feeling I get? If, if I sound like I'm a little bit um, maybe not as on the edge as I normally am, it's because of this. I'm not as on the edge as I normally am. I'm mellow. I'm not disgusted. I'm not angry. I'm not hurt. I'm not sad. It's just sometimes you pile all this stuff on top, folks, layer after layer after layer. And the only place you can turn in the middle of this to get some kind of peace is to turn to God. Isn't it a novel idea that we only turn to God and only look for peace when we can't get the feeling that we want to get and we all of a sudden say, you know what, let's go to God. Why didn't we go there in the first place? His peace passes all understanding. That's what I really need today. And I hope you, you're looking for the same thing and you find it through the weekend. I mean, you've got the usual stuff Friday night, probably high school football, college football tomorrow. You've got soccer with your kids, all those kind of things. Do this. Throw yourselves into these things and forget about all of the stuff we're talking about right now. Forget about it for the weekend. Just go to church Sunday and worship God and be with people that you're like-minded with and enjoy each other's company. Stay away from the media over the weekend. We're not going to be here with the exception of our bullet points offering tomorrow, which is just a news synopsis of the big stories of this week. So do what we're going to do. Just turn the TV off. Stay away from Fox and CNN and MSNBC. Stay away from the New York Times and the Washington Post, even your local newspapers this weekend. And just find a way and a place to get some peace, satisfaction, and just enjoy the weekend. Maybe do something that you normally don't do. You got that for nothing. I just threw that in. Sometimes I think maybe some of you feel some of the same things I do. And because of that, I just wanted to share that with you. Back to this Texas abortion bill. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans, as was expected, you know, another case came up and another judge, a federal judge, ordered a stay on that execution of the Texas abortion bill. Once again, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans came in and they, uh, they said, uh-uh. And so the abortion bill is, in effect, Texas can continue banning most abortions after that court rejected the Biden administration's latest attempt to stop a law that has become the nation's biggest curb to abortion in nearly half a century. This decision by the Fifth Circuit yesterday could push the law closer to going back to the Supreme Court, which has already once allowed the restrictions to take effect. Remember that. They didn't rule on its constitutionality. They just basically said, hey, we're going to let it go into effect and it's going to work its way through the court systems and we'll take it up when it comes back to us formally. This law bans abortions once cardiac activity is detected in a baby in the womb, usually around six weeks, 
and before some women know they're even pregnant. Since this law took effect in early September, Texas women have sought out abortion clinics in neighboring states, some driving hours through the middle of the night and including patients as young as 12 years old. Wow. The law makes no exceptions in cases of rape or incest. So here's what the ACLU ACLU had to say. We hope the Department of Justice urgently appeals this order to the Supreme Court to restore Texans' ability to obtain abortion care after six weeks in pregnancy. That's from Bridget Omery, Deputy Director of the ACLU. The DOJ, they haven't even commented on this latest decision by the court. In a 2-1 decision, three-judge panel at the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans granted that request to keep the law in place as the court case moves forward. It marks the third time this appeals court has sided with Texas and let the restrictions stand. Now, how do they determine what appeals court it goes to? Every jurisdiction, every state, has a particular regional place where anything that comes out of that court in the way of appeal, when it goes to an appeals court, it would go to the one that is included with that state. And in this case, Texas, every time such a an appeal happens, It happens at the state level. It happens at the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans. By the way, those judges, those two judges that ruled against this uh, DOJ, um, what they were trying to get done, stop the law from going into effect, those two judges are both Catholics. And what does that mean, Dan? Catholic Church... Its uh, doctrine has always been and still is against abortion regardless of what this Pope says. And so most Catholics that are devout Catholics, including a couple of judges apparently, um, are anti-abortion. You don't hear much from our former Secretary of State anymore, Mike Pompeo. Well, he, uh, he stepped out yesterday and uh, he expressed some personal concern about what's happening on the world stage regarding their opinions of our nation now as it pertains to foreign policy under this president. He said Biden's foreign policy fails to even understand the harsh reality of good versus evil. He warned in an interview that without considering the ramifications of his administration's actions around the globe, America is being diminished under Joe Biden's leadership. Hmm. Pompeo, before he and former Trump National Security Advisor Rob O'Neill received the Richard Nixon Foundation's 2021 Architect of Peace Award for their work in developing and implementing the 2020 Abraham Accords and the 2020 Serbia-Kosovo Economic Normalization Agreements, he spoke out about this regarding the Biden administration. The pair were also honored for their oversight of the repatriation of more than 50 American hostages detained abroad. Mainstream media didn't touch this story. Speaking broadly about the Biden shift in foreign policy from Trump days, 
Pompeo said international partners of the U.S. and our allies are growing increasingly concerned about our role now in the world under this president. The world is very worried, Pompeo said. I think they see the first nine months of the Biden administration, they're very concerned that America's leaving the international stage. And he, he talked about a number of foreign policy actions taken under Biden, including the full withdrawal of our military from Afghanistan, which led to the Taliban takeover of the country, and the negotiations for a potential re-entry into that JCPOA Iran nuclear deal. At its core, what the Biden administration fails to understand, Pompeo said, is there is a harsh reality out there that there is evil and there is good. And if you withdraw from Afghanistan without considering ramifications and dealing with them up front and making sure the conditions are right, America is being diminished. If you don't make clear that you're going to be an unbreakable ally of the state of Israel, that the Iranians will provide rockets to Hamas in the Gaza Strip and they will fire them into the state of Israel, and if you don't understand that American energy is an incredibly powerful national security tool and instead you shut it down, give the Russians access to European markets, beg the Middle East to build more production capacity, you put America at risk. Pompeo said those are just indisputable facts. That is the reality of the world in which we live. And the Trump administration was serious about using American power as a force for good in the world against the backdrop of reality. Regarding the Biden administration's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, Pompeo said the singular greatest mistake in the mission was the one that was made by the commander-in-chief himself. To set an arbitrary, unconditional deadline, Pompeo explained. And once that's done, once you set the date certain, then the bad guys know they can push you and push you. And that's what they did. But when the Taliban pushed us, talking about during the Trump administration, we crushed them, Biden said. When you set a date certain and they push on you and you withdraw inch by inch, yard by yard, this didn't just happen in 11 days like the Biden administration wants Americans to think. That's the myth. This wasn't 11 days. This was weeks and weeks and weeks of the Taliban advancing on provincial capital after provincial capital all across the country. Pompeo went on to describe it as a failure of America to respond, to make clear that that's unacceptable, and then the ultimate collapse of the Afghan government as we, for some reason, oddly closed Bagram Air Base, pulled out most of our military forces while we still had, and still have, dozens if not hundreds of Americans behind what is today the enemy line. Wow. Speaking of our troops and being left, did you know this? Hundreds of thousands of our troops today remain unvaccinated. Remember the the Pentagon put out a mandate for our military members to be vaccinated. I forget, I think it's November, early November, November 2nd, I believe, is the deadline for active duty Air Force personnel. That's the first one. 
and hundreds of thousands of troops aren't being vaccinated. If they don't, we're told, they are going to face punishment. They could potentially be court-martialed and then dishonorably discharged. A large percentage of most branches have gotten at least one shot. Many troops are ready to be in compliance with orders laying out the mandates, but there's still a big number of service members who remain unvaxxed, including 32% of the Army and about 20% overall. There's been a significant pushback. That's from Sean Timmons, a military veteran and a managing partner at Tully Rinky. The percentage of unvaxxed is likely to be so high that the military will use non-compliance with the mandate to kick them out of the troops that leaders don't like, but will retain those they do, at least for a while, he added. A bunch of lawsuits have been filed against the Pentagon. A flurry of troops have sought exemptions since Defense Secretary Austin in August, just after the U.S. drug regulators approved Pfizer, ordered troops to get a jab. He left the details up to the head of each branch, including deadlines. The specific orders were soon announced, and members learn when they'll face repercussions if they don't get the shot and aren't approved for an exemption. Active-duty Navy and Marines have until November 28th. That's about a full month later than the Air Force deadline. The Army set a December 15th deadline for their active-duty soldiers. Reserve components, including the National Guard in each branch, have a later date, December 2nd for the Air Force, 28th for the Navy and Marines, and June 30th next year for the Army. That's kind of a, a big spread of dates, don't you think? Active duty and reserve Coast Guard members don't have a deadline. Instead, they've been ordered to be fully vaxxed against COVID-19 immediately as soon as operations allow. So ahead of those dates, senior leaders have launched a big-time effort to convince members to get the shot, even if they can prove they've recovered from COVID and have antibodies against the virus. Top officials are encouraging troops in town halls and speeches on social media to get the shot, and of course in a bunch of private discussions. They're telling us the benefits of the vaccine are clear, which they're not, In order to effectively protect our nation and those we love, we must effectively protect ourselves from this disease. In other words, what they're telling us, folks, is that whoever these scientists are that came up with the idea that Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson and even AstraZeneca, which is not available here in the U.S., those purveyors of real science, they know more about COVID-19 and antibodies and natural immunity then does God, because God created Mother Nature who created natural immunity for all kinds of bacteria and viruses that invade humans' bodies, like those that got COVID-19, like my wife as an example, like my brother and his wife and their oldest son and his wife, all got COVID-19. All of them developed because of that through their antibodies created by their own bodies to beat it, they're not going to get COVID-19 again. The odds are much, much higher that they won't get it than people that get vaccinated will get it. They don't want to talk about that. Natural immunity doesn't matter anymore. It only mattered when Fauci was out promoting it at the very beginning of this. We've got to get to herd immunity, which is natural immunity. How do we do that? 
people are going to have to get COVID. Their bodies are going to have to get them over COVID. This time we didn't have any vaccine to assist. And so when your bodies tackle it and beat it, they create antibodies that will be naturally spread to the people who with they come in contact. And now because it doesn't fit a political talking point, Fauci and company don't even mention it. They don't even talk about it. Meanwhile, last week, folks, you know where the super spreaders all lived in Florida and Texas for months? If you listen to Biden, if you listen to Fauci, if you listen to any of the governors of these big red states that have seen horrible results from their treatment of COVID-19, Florida saw the third lowest rate of COVID infections in the whole United States last week. The Sunshine State saw only 13 COVID infections per 100,000 population last week. Florida was trailing only Connecticut and Hawaii, which both had a rate of 11 cases per 100,000. Pretty close there. 13 per 100K or 11 per 100K. Over the last two weeks, Florida's also had the third fastest descent in rates of infections, only behind Alabama and Hawaii. The state's 14-day change rate dropped by 48%, while Alabama's went down 61 and Hawaii's plunged to 51%. COVID cases were declining as the end of the summer season makes the weather cooler across southern states. I don't know where this uh, person that wrote this story lives, but it's October, and it ain't got cool in Louisiana. And I know Florida's warmer than Louisiana. Anyway, I guess technically it is getting kind of cooler. That may be the reason the states farther north saw higher rates of COVID-19 infections in the last two weeks, like Colorado was up 32%, Vermont 27%, Michigan 26%, Minnesota 22%. This downward trend of COVID cases in Florida started weeks ago. One paper on October 1st reported the number of new cases in the state dropped for the fifth straight week. And as we mentioned, Florida Gators playing at LSU, um, they're not going to be any mask worn at Tiger Stadium. There aren't going to be, even though we have vaccine requirements and mask requirements from our governor, who lives, by the way, just around the corner from Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. He'll probably be at the game. He won't be wearing a mask. I have no clue if he was vaccinated or not, but I can tell you this. They're not doing vax proof of vaccinations to get into this game tomorrow when Florida takes on LSU. It's just virtually impossible to figure out what we're being told is truthful and what isn't. And there's one more thing that just popped up out of the Potomac Valley up there I thought you'd want to know about. You remember Senator Tim Kaine, a Democrat from Virginia? He was Hillary Clinton's running mate. Really loud, really hardcore left. He was kind of like a living, breathing talking point when he ran with Hillary. He yesterday stated that he doesn't think many people are angry in Virginia about their education, about the teaching of critical race theory and this gender identity thing we talked about. He said, I don't think that many people are angry about education. I mean, Terry McCall, a former Virginia governor, Democrat, of course, and he's running again, 
Kane said McAuliffe has a record, and the record was some of the biggest increases in funding for schools. Virginia schools ranked among the best in the nation. Whether you look at K-12 through or even the university system, which is superb, Glenn Youngkins, who is Glenn Youngkins, is the Republican running against McAuliffe. Kane said Youngkins has nothing to do with that. McAuliffe's fingerprints are all over Virginia school success. The other reason parents aren't angry is they get to vote for school board members. If they don't like what's going on in their local city or county, then they can put somebody else in. Nobody's getting in their way of doing that. But Virginia has been on a roll educationally. When I was born, Kane said, Virginia was one of the worst states for education in the country. You couldn't sit next to a kid if their skin color was different. And women couldn't go to many of our universities. Now we're one of the best states for education in the country. How dare a newbie like Glenn Youngkin come in and promise he's going to turn it topsy-turvy. I think that's the last thing that most Virginians want. Of course, Tim Kaine, like most Democrats in leadership, they either fail to see, they either fail to listen, or they choose not to see, or choose not to listen to the people who are screaming and hollering. Loudoun County, the school board, they're up there demanding that everybody on the school board resign because of what they're doing, that Tim Kaine says Virginians aren't angry about education in Virginia. So which is it? Are they stupid or they just don't know? Are they stupid or are they just partisan hacks? I raise my hand on the partisan hack thing. Where's our vice president, folks? Where's Kamala Harris been? We saw her on that stage video with those kids You remember that? I was embarrassed for her. It was reprehensible to see her being used and using these kids to do some brownie point collections. Well, she always weighs in on the big issues of the day. And she's really worried about being able to get Christmas presents before Christmas to give away. I mean, after all, she is Vice President of the United States. She's supposed to have some stroke, right? So... She came up with some answers for our problems with our supply chain issues. And, of course, also, she has to do it, um, inflation. And, I mean, she, folks, if you don't believe what I'm about to tell you, just ask her. She's an economic genius. She knows inflationary measures, all the ins and outs, the policies, how it happens, what to do to get rid of it. So she stepped to a microphone to give us all the skinny, all of it on our supply chain problems, and of course, inflation too. So I'd like to ask you about the supply chain issue, because I know this is very important. It really affects us in three ways here in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, We are seeing product shortages on the shelves, empty shelves. That's almost unheard of in America. We're seeing part shortages for our manufacturers where they can't get the supplies they need to finish product. And then third, we're seeing inflation as a result of all this, 5% plus inflation just reported. So I guess the question is, what can you and the administration do to alleviate these problems here in Western Pennsylvania and throughout the nation? So it's a big issue for Western Pennsylvania throughout the nation and actually a global issue. The supply chain issue also really predated the pandemic, but it's been highlighted during the pandemic. 
And to your point, it affects everything from the price of goods to whether our kids are going to have their toys in time for the holidays um, to, to truckers. Um, Pittsburgh has a port to what's happening around shipping, what happens in terms of moving commerce, getting products to market. And that's about consumers as much as it is about workers, as much as it is about businesses doing well. And then, of course, our children who who rightly believe in Santa Claus and want to make sure Santa Claus has his helpers um, well, I know working the- to move those products. Oh, I'm surprised she didn't break into her... <laughs> when she brought up Santa Claus there. Folks, she lied about it. We didn't have a supply chain problem. She said, you know, this is a uh, supply chain issue. This is a, a pandemic thing. But we had it before the pandemic. We didn't have it before the pandemic. We didn't have a problem getting anything worldwide. You know why? Entrepreneurs, free market folks, capitalist folks, They found ways through many years to develop not only the way to move products around the globe, but to improve it, improve it, make it better, make it more cost-effective, be able to get stuff quicker. Back in 1975, do you think we actually gave one little bitty thought that there may be some way to send a package today from San Diego and for it to show up before 9 o'clock at some residence or some business in Miami, Florida the next morning? Nobody thought about that. Did you? Can you imagine a world in which FedEx, they came up with this idea? You know, if you ship that package from San Diego to Miami, that it goes through Memphis before it goes to Miami? If you send a FedEx package from Zurich, Switzerland, to Shreveport, Louisiana. It goes through Memphis first. If you haven't flown in or out of the Memphis airport, you haven't been you haven't seen just how expansive FedEx's headquarters are there and the process they have for distribution. Who came up with the idea of all by air FedEx packages that are shipped? Their process, they all go from wherever they are, the location. They fly them at night after FedEx closes at local time. They all fly to Memphis. They're all taken into this massive processing center. They read, they go on these conveyor belts and they read the labels that were attached at the shipping point. And it goes to the right plane that goes out early the next morning to these points around the U.S. It's crazy how they did that. But American Innovation always effectively in the marketplace has been able to create ways to do things better, to do them less expensive as than they were the previous years or so, and come up with the ability not only to make it good, but to improve it year after year after year. And of course, none of that concept exists in this administration Joe Biden doesn't know anything about capitalism and businesses. What money he's been able to accumulate, he's done directly from his political ties, the open doors that come to him from being a U.S. senator for so many years and then a vice president for eight and now the president. All kinds of opportunity, money-making things. But you don't have to be an entrepreneur if you're a politician to make a lot of money. You just got to say yes at the right time. You've got to do what you commit to do to get big insider information. 
and large abilities to make large deals very passively that will enrich you instead of being a working individual, being a creative person that comes up with an idea that invents a widget that everybody wants or come up with somebody that is able to create a shipping company that makes it possible for me. Originally, it was $5.30. You could send an overnight letter via FedEx. And if you got it to the FedEx drop box by 9 o'clock, it'd be at somebody's house. You could pay a little extra and get it there before 10 o'clock the next morning. That's what makes things work, folks. It's not making big government bigger giving big government all our money and expecting them to do the right thing with it and make things get better and better and better. It just does not happen. So where do the Americans fall in about this supply chain crisis? A new poll that came out yesterday, 85% of American adults, it says, are very concerned that supply chain problems may lead to shortages of basic items. And that includes 50% who say they're very concerned. And this is all just escalating when it when it's being revealed almost every day of all these supply ships that are out in the ocean and, and can't come into port. And even when they get into port, there are no sufficient trucks for them to unload these containers from their ships and then the containers be either put on the backs of trucks or unloaded their contents put inside of trucks because there aren't enough trucks. And it has to do with there not being enough people to man these transportation outlets, trains, trucks primarily, even other ships. And this president and vice president are doing nothing to make the problem better, what they are doing consistently is telling us, oh, we got it figured out. We got it figured out. So what, is, what do Americans now today, what do they think about the president's job? Here's the latest tracking poll from Rasmussen. 43% of Americans approve of Biden's job performance. 56% disapprove. 43%. 56 think he's doing a bad job. Wow. What a way to end the show. President ain't doing too good, and Americans got him spotted, don't they? Hey, you guys have a great weekend. Thank you so much for being a part of this. I'm really glad to have you along. Be with your family. Go out, have some fun. Don't worry this weekend, and we'll see you Monday at TNN Live. It's going to be a Do the
there's nothing more important Just make sure that baby never misses such a Better all her life she missed her 